Beards for Radio. Another episode of the Beards for Radio podcast. And again, uh, we have a special guest, Mike Olson, on to talk about the upcoming rivalry game, uh, part one of two uh, between Michigan and Michigan State basketball, a top 10 matchup, two teams at the top of the Big Ten standings. And uh, we'll also talk a bit about the possibility of the one and done rule being done with. And also a very, very late review of Halloween 2018. Man, I'm excited, dude. Sunday, dude. Um, uh, I think uh, I got, like, mixed emotions with this game, you know, because I wanted these ga- this game to be, you know, 100% against 100%, you know, and states, you know, down uh, Langford. You know, they just lost uh, uh, Nick Ward to hairline fracture, which kind of, like, you know, favors Michigan in that sense. But then again, you know, Izzo's done a lot better with a lot worse. And I think uh, the kids that are coming in off the bench for him are going to be ready. So I don't think it's something that Michigan think is just going to be a rollover. Michigan fans think it's just going to be, you know, you know, <clears throat> just an easy win. But um, it, it's a big blow for you guys to lose those two, those two dudes. I think those are guys are your studs. I think it just puts more weight on the shoulders of Cassius Winston, um, especially – playing against someone like Xavier Simpson, who's a, a you know, excellent defender. So um, it's going to be interesting. So those are my mixed emotions on it because I, I, I would rather have Langford and Ward in there. You know what I'm saying? I would rather it be 100% so we can not get the flippy floppy crap if, if if Michigan wins or Michigan State wins with the whole all wall, you know, injuries, this, that. that, that was, I don't want to hear that, you know. But, yeah, I'm kind of um, I'm excited for it, but mixed emotions. Yeah, you know, it's it's part of sports. Like, players are going to get hurt at certain points, you know. It's it's kind of like um, the up and down, you know. Like, if you are if you got good injury luck one year, it's bound to come back and bite you the next year. And I thought it would be difficult for State even before Ward got hurt. Now, you know, I'm really nervous, really not, really don't know what to expect in the game. Anyways, like I said, we do have a guest on the show, uh, Mike Olson, who is a season ticket holder of Michigan basketball. So, yeah. Take it away. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on, guys. Of course. Always. And um, Sasha talked a bit about having mixed feelings um, just because – not not both teams are coming into this uh fully healthy which is part of which is just part of sports you know like it it happened to Michigan for a few years in a row now it's happening to state you know um yeah so what are what are your feelings coming in on Sunday afternoon uh really a battle for first place i feel more good than bad i expect michigan to win a close one but uh just because they're at home um, but I mean, anytime you're playing like a really good team, like I, I at least for me, I never go in a hundred percent confident, <laughs> even if like my brain says to be totally confident, like, I don't know. Part of me is just so used to being disappointed that I'm not And and state's a really good team and, um, you know, Lankford and Ward are really good players, but, uh, I think Winston's their best player. And as long as he's out there, you know, state has a really good chance. Yeah, you know, I remember talking uh, at the very beginning of the season with Sasha about Michigan State. Like, they didn't have a defined star, but they had three players essentially fill that role. And, you know, we mentioned Langford and Ward. 
and Winston, and even when Langford and Ward were healthy, it really was Winston um, being the guy, you know, and he has really grown into that role. I, I just worry that, uh, you know, as a state fan and as, you know, a fan of a good basketball game, I'm worried he's going to be, like, broken down, like, ten minutes, five minutes into the second half because just, you know, the wear and tear on him has kind of been ridiculous. And also, you know, last season, even though Cassius Winston is not the same player he was last season, um, Xavier Simpson was really a kryptonite for Yes, he was. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can still hear you. Okay, good. I I, I think what's going to hurt State is that uh, Xavier Simpson might not even be the best guy to guard Winston. I could definitely see them putting Matthews on Winston and putting uh, Simpson on McQuaid. What do you guys think about that? Huh. Yes and no, but like McQuaid, McQuaid's like he's that guy. He can come off picks really good. He's a spot up shooter. He's a catch and shoot shooter. So my nervousness is that he's going to shoot right over top of uh, Xavier. Xavier's going to get caught in some kind of pick or screen, and his McQuaid's going to be there to you know just to, to let loose. So I don't know. It's just kind of pick your poison right there, you know. Um, but I, I I wouldn't see that I wouldn't put it past B line to experiment like that. So yeah, especially if there's foul trouble to be had at some point. I just think you let McQuaid get his. He's not gonna drive by Simpson. You know, he might get a few threes. Right. But then you'd really I uh what was it uh in the second half or wait Charles Matthews against Maryland didn't allow a single point until Maryland's last possession. Wow. And he was and he was guarding um one of their best players uh in the second half uh was his name Cowan yeah and uh Cowan was uh, Simpson was doing a good job in the first half against Cowan but in the second half um the first few minutes he scored a couple against Simpson and then uh, they switched and put Matthews on him. And Cowan didn't score until the final uh, possession when it was obvious that Matthews just didn't want to foul, won the game to be over and let him get his. Right. That's an interesting possibility because he'll probably deny it, but I, I really feel that all season long Cassius Winston has been preparing for Xavier Simpson, you know, in one way or another, mentally or physically. So if he's been, you know, kind of, amping himself up to take on Xavier Simpson again, and then they kind of like flip it on him, you know, that could be an interesting um, an interesting turn of events, if you will. But, yeah, McQuaid, like you said, he's, not, he's really not a driver, but he is tall, and he is someone who can get hot in a matter of seconds. I talked about Michigan State basketball's streakability on our last episode, and um, they just really continued that the last week, like – with seven minutes against Ohio State, they were tied at 42. Uh, they won 62 to 44. So they went on a 20 to two run in the last seven minutes of the game, and that was without Ward. And then against Rutgers, trailed by 11 early in the second half, went on a 28 to seven run. Uh, that really happened really quick. So, you know, I I don't feel confident that State will win the game per se, 
but I do feel like every game I've watched, they've had a moment where you feel like they will win the game because they go on that kind of streak. So I feel like that'll be key, you know, if they can keep on doing that. They can keep going on a streak and um, avoid foul trouble because they really don't have a, a ton of experienced big men left. Who would you say is their second best player? Um, Probably Kenny Goins behind Winston right now. When Ward's healthy, I think it is Ward. Um, just because he grew so much on the defensive end and was kind of polishing his jump shot. But yeah, I'd have to go Kenny Goins because he really is kind of the X factor role. He has always been a very good rebounder and he's really grown into his shot. Uh, I never thought Kenny Goins would be shooting uh, almost 42% from three point land. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to go Goins and then McQuaid and then Tillman out of who's healthy right now. How has Tillman been this year? Well, you know, him and Ward have really been playing like half games because, you know, they're, they're both power forward, big guys. Sometimes they see the court at the same time when Ward's healthy. Um, but, you know, he's been really good in small spurts. He's kind of like the energy guy. Um, you know, he had a career high 19 points uh, against Rutgers in his second start of the season and then pulled down 10 rebounds. He – he is kind of like sneaky, creative around the rim. He doesn't have the scoring prowess that Ward does, but I think he's a better defender, better rebounder. Um, but, you know, he was someone who was coming off the bench who now is kind of thrust into a starting role. So that's that's something to watch. Right. I think that, too, is that um, before Ward went down, I thought I think you probably would have seen both of them on the floor a lot more against Michigan because you take Teske out the mix. Michigan's not that uh, tall. They, they oh. don't really got that much length. So, so you know, knock on wood, Teske, you know, has a good game or stays healthy through, you know, the, the rest of this year because, you know, they have no length. They can't – they can't, to me, like Livers is the next guy that's going to step up to be a big man. And, you know, it's not really his role, but he's going to have to play it. So, you know, it, w- it would have been interesting if Nick Ward would have been in this game, most definitely. That's yeah, they could have. Oh, sorry. Um, Ward, since he stepped on campus, has been very good at just drawing fouls in the paint. Um, so, yeah, that does take something away from MSU. Uh, but, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, and Teske's actually really good at not drawing fouls, but when you have two big men like that, like if you were state, you'd have to attack him. Because they got Livers, who's not a center, like uh, Sasha said, playing that backup role pretty much, while also playing minutes at the three and the four. And then even Brandon Johns, who's kind of overtaken uh, Austin Davis as the next guy, who's very green, by the way. I think after this season, if Beeline can, Beeline will probably actually move Brandon Johns to the four. So, really, it's Teske, and then it's two guys playing out of position. Right. Because, you know, um, right. Iggy, he's he's really more of a three-player. He doesn't really – like, he's kind of fit, you know, like he's built decently, but he's not like a big guy, right? Right. But he's like he's like one of those guys that are like sneaky strong because I know the, the strength and conditioning coach told him that he's not allowed to lift any weights because he's going to get too big. You know, I, I know I know that guy, he's like he's really <laughs> into like MMA and – 
and he like he like MMA fights with his dad and his uh and, and his family on the lawn over in Canada. So I think he's a big dude. I think he's sneaky strong. I just think sometimes he forces too much. I think he needs to let the game come to him a little bit more. Um, you know, that's basketball. Just just don't force it. It's gonna come. You know, it's it, it, it's it's almost like Kyrie Irving said. It, it's it's a it's a almost an art form. You know, and, and it'll come. I just don't think he needs to push it as as much as he does sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you almost want uh, um, Jordan Poole and Iggy to kind of take a step back and not force it sometimes. And then on the flip side, I feel like Charles Matthews and John Teske almost need more confidence on the offensive side because they can go and sometimes True. there's that hesitation there. Right. It's kind of like finding that happy medium between those four players. Um, you know, we may get to Sunday and maybe uh, Brodzikas and Poole you know, are both kind of t- letting the game come to them, or maybe Teske and um, Matthews are both being more aggressive. So I think that's what we want to get into next. What are your guys' X factors for the game? Hmm. That's a great question. I get I, uh, well. Now that now that Nick Ward's not there, I kind of have a change of mindset. But you know, I'm always a big Charles Matthews fan. I think I think if Charles Matthews gets his inside outside game going on, it's it's kind of hard for uh, uh, people to stop him. But um, it, but I also think it also lies on Xavier, man. You know, sometimes he's on, sometimes he's shooting over ten. You know, but um, I think he needs to make you know good critical decisions because I think he's going to be going against the best player, which is going to be Cassius. Okay. I would, I for me, I think it's uh, whether or not Michigan makes their threes, because when they don't, they're still a very good team. It's not their strength. Their strength is defense. Um, yes. But right. when they hit those threes, like they did against Villanova and North Carolina, and uh, we've seen them other times this year, they're like one of the best teams in the country. And when they don't, they're more like, eh number seven, number eight, about what they're ranked. Still a top ten team, but, you know, there's a handful of teams that are better than them. But when they hit those threes with that defense, they're they're probably one of the top two or three teams in the country. Agreed. That I'll agree with you with. Yeah, for me, my X Factor, I got to go with a specific person. That would be Aaron Henry uh, when Michigan State has the ball. You know, the coaches and the writers were all praising him after the Wisconsin game when he was kind of finding his shot, getting into the lane and, you know, kind of operating there. And then he's really disappeared since then. And I think he is, he is just vital to Michigan State's success. If Ward isn't going to be playing for four to five weeks, maybe more, maybe the season, um, you know, if they're going to make a run of any type, yeah. Uh, not to put pressure on a, a freshman who has only started a few games, but, yeah, he, he needs to step up his offense a lot. And he's not like, you know, a, a straight-up shooter, but he can hit shots, and he's a very good driver. And then, yeah, for Michigan, I, I got to go with Jordan Poole as the X factor because, like you said, like he's he's taking all the shots in the world. He's making a decent amount, but some – like I didn't get to watch most of the Maryland or Minnesota games, but I watched the Penn State game which I know is kind of a bad example because they lost. But <laughs> I watched the Penn State game, and it seemed like a lot of times the offense would start moving, and he would kind of take an ill-advised shot that, you know, wouldn't go in. And then Penn State gets a long rebound, and they're on the break the other way, you know. 
So that's kind of an X factor for me uh, from Jordan Poole's side. Yeah, we all have like three different X factors, but I think, dude, I'm excited for uh, Sunday's game. Like I said, mixed motions, nervous. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Michigan's going to, if, like he says, if, if he hits those threes, they play the D, they play. I mean, I think it'll be a long night for Michigan State. I think it'll be a low-scoring one. Um, probably, like, winner is in the mid-60s, maybe first to 70 wins. Maybe even lower. Could. I was thinking maybe first to 60. Right, it could be that. Well, I, I might have messed – I was looking at, like, what these teams were ranked, and I could be – misremembering the numbers just by a slight amount, but I think Ken Palm and Michigan is the number two defense. And I think Michigan state was like number seven, which right. is why I say that. Yeah. And um, it's also an important battle when you talk about the NCAA seedings, because right now both teams are really projected as number two seeds. And um, I think if you look at the net rankings, they've been flipping and flopping from seven and eight, like, a couple days ago, MSU was seven, Michigan was eight. I checked today, and Michigan was seven, MSU was eight. You know, so these teams really are even in a, in a lot of ways. I think both coaches, both coaching staffs are getting a lot out of their players. They're getting – they're really reaching their players' full potential right now on both sides, I think. I agree with you. And I was actually looking at seeding, too. I looked at bracket matrix – and they have Michigan as the number two two seed and Michigan State as the number three two seed. And, of course, if Michigan State wins, they'll probably flop. And uh, I think that becomes um, a big deal because would you rather be in a bracket with Duke or would you rather be in a bracket with, like, Tennessee or Gonzaga? Right. Like, if Zion comes back, I want to avoid Duke at all costs. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and speaking of Zion, man, like, what, what's up with Nike? What's, you know, Nike lost, like, a billion dollars in stock off that one shoe, and everybody's calling for Nike's head and this and that. And it's like, okay, guys, the kid's shoe ripped off, you know. Right. <laughs> Nike's been pushing child labor forever. You guys got a problem with them now that a Zion's shoe fell off his foot? Like, okay. There aren't a lot of people cool. Gonna, like, stomp on the court and have their shoe explode like Zion Williamson. <laughs> I, uh... Yeah, but... I didn't do much other than read headlines with that. What 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 caused that? Is it just that he's such a big, strong dude, or you know, it was kind of like he got the ball and it's like he set his pivot foot, and then his foot came out of the bottom of his shoe, and he slipped, and you could see him like grab his opposite knee, kind of like it got stretched, you know? Yeah, and that was like thirty yeah. seconds in it, right in front of Obama. <laughs> right from old mama yeah so, so are you, you know, like we're saying if go ahead go ahead are you saying that could happen to me if i wear some paul george nikes and i'm just you know shoveling my driveway <laughs> <laughs> it might but you're not six foot eight 280 pounds you know it's a big boy you know some shoes to fill right there no i'm five foot eight and 280 pounds (laughs) (laughs) then then it's possible it's possible it might happen lower center of gravity 
But uh, <laughs> you know, I think that I think that can like I think that can take us right to the next uh, segment. You know, should Zion come back or 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 should he sit out? And should the NBA and the NCAA contemplate this whole you know one and done thing and just turn it into the the eighteen into the NBA? You know, like yeah. I I know what my takes on it, but I want to hear you guys' takes on it first. And, Okay. So um, I'm gonna start off with Mike. Mike, you go ahead. Let me let me know what you think. Um, and can we hit on a couple other things with Michigan, and Michigan State too? Like uh, our favorite memory. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll, and uh, yeah, we'll hop back. The rivalry moments, something. best rivalry moments. Oh yeah, for yep. sure. So um, did you want to go, George? Uh, Joe? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, I think if it was a more serious injury, like I, I think he should consider shutting it down more often or, you know, for the rest of the season. But, you know, his status is day-to-day. I think it was really precautionary that they held him out of the game. And, you know, it's it's like a mild knee sprain or something like that. He looks like a physical freak. I think he'll be fine. Um, you know, should he consider it? That's really up to him and his family because he's going to be the number one pick. He's going to have millions off of, you know, uh, sponsorships and stuff like that. I, like I said, if it was more serious, like say he could have torn something, then yeah, I would definitely shut it down. But, you know, a day-to-day injury, and if he really wants to win a national championship and he really feels that kind of brotherhood with R.J. Barrett and uh, Cam Reddish, then no. I don't think he will. And if I was in a situation, I probably wouldn't either. Hmm. Hmm. I- Not what I expected. But Mike, go ahead. I, I, I'll be honest. I always just think the athlete should do what they want. Um, I think uh, if you have too many people shutting it down, then the NCA might have something to look at because I feel like at a certain point, fans will stop caring if too many guys shut it down. Um, from what I understand, like he should be fine. And if I was him, I'd probably come back for either the ACC tournament or if it's, you know, still tweaked a little bit, the NCAA tournament. Right. Yeah, I feel kind of like I'm kind of flux on this one because it's like, you like you said, Joe, it's like, well, the injury wasn't that bad. So, like, when is the point where we kind of, you know, kind of get – ahead of it or you know or do we react to the to to it or do we you know get ahead of it and be you know proactive about it and i think a lot of people are taking that that mindset of like well he should sit out dude's gonna lose millions i mean you can see you know you know like we said it perfectly a few a few casts ago look at jake buck compared to christian caffrey you know what i'm saying right. you're losing millions you know and, and i think football and basketball are two different you know you know animals when it comes to that because you got these guys that, that, that get out of high school and they go to China and they go to Greece, you know, they go to Europe, you know, Argentina, wherever, and they make a, a million, few million dollars. And then they come back and in to America a few years later, Brandon Jennings did it. Yeah. And he's up a few million dollars, goes to the G League, makes his way into the league. You know, you know, albeit he has injuries and everything and, you know, whatever happened to him, but he kind of bypassed the whole college thing got his money, kind of did it his way. I'm not saying that's what Zion should do because that guy is definitely a a few months away from making it to the NBA. I mean, if you're right there, if you're right there, man, and you, like, have all that that money right in front of you, man, like, would you risk that? 
you know, and I think you're right. I think it comes down to whether, you know, he wants the NBA and he wants the contracts and he wants to be for sure, or does he want to, you know, solidify his brotherhood with Duke and get a championship and, you know, carry that over to the NBA. I think, I think it's a fine line to walk for that young man, but me personally, um, I would probably sit out. Right. Okay, I'm that close to getting my dream. I would sit out, you know? Right. No, that's, that's totally fair. And if, if he wants to shut it down, then, you know, more power to him. Like, Look at uh, Nick Bosa with Ohio State this last year. It's like he wasn't sure how long rehab for his injury was going to take. He felt pretty confident he was going to be a top five, at least a top round pick in the NFL draft. So he shut it down. You know, he, he made it official. And I, I don't think anyone really had a problem with him. I mean, Ohio State fans probably did because they're, you know, Ohio State fans. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I – Sure that. I do think something that's underreported, though, is these guys all have insurance. Right. And while they're not going to get the money, like, you know, Jake Butt got money. I, I don't know if it's still Lloyd's of London, but that's who used to do this. Obviously, he'd make more if he was doing well in the NFL and not hurt. But they still make – they still get money if they get hurt. Um. And uh, I think that that's something you don't really hear about when they report on this. They always act like, you know, it's all or nothing. And also, um, I have a feeling Zion's getting money elsewhere, too, for going to Duke. So. <laughs> hey, now. Oh, well, for <laughs> sure. All, all, all those blue teams, all those blue teams fork out the bucks, bro. For sure. But you know yeah. what? Jake Butts not only just losing money off of, you know, having an NFL contract, you know, if he does good in the NFL, he has to make more, make more money. But think about all the sponsors and uh, commercials or, you know, even like, you know, film opportunities you get when you're out there playing good, you know what I'm saying? So I think that, that too is just, you know, missed opportunity to, you know, to, to, to add to your bankroll. Right. Yeah. It's expert. Oh, sorry. No, no, you go, Joe. Okay. Even just the dream of, you know, playing professional sports. Like, would you rather be getting paid while you're playing sports or, you know, getting paid insurance while you're recovering? Yeah. Right, you know. Also, uh, if you think long-term, though, and obviously, you know, being a pro athlete pays more than anything. Let's say Zion does come back and they win a title there's going to be opportunities down the line just for being remembered as a championship team for him to make money that way, you know, nostalgia, you know, all those, you know, like this, this Sunday, you know, then 89 teams doing a 30th anniversary at Chrysler for Michigan, you know, there's money that way too. Obviously I'm not saying it compares to, you know, eight and nine figure, you know, NFL and NBA deals, but you know, you, you can look at that side of it too. A couple weeks ago, I went to a Michigan State game. They were honoring the uh, the 40-year anniversary of the 79 team, and I saw Magic Johnson and Greg Kelser speak at halftime. It was awesome. That is awesome. And I, oh, like, yeah, I like that Kelser is always, you know, excited about Michigan State basketball. Um, Magic Johnson sometimes only shows up uh, to Breslin when Michigan State's really good. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, you're kind of right about that one. Um, maybe I should have a Greg Kelser statue out there too. You know, he is the all-time leading scorer, isn't he, for uh, Michigan State, Joe? What was that? 
Isn't Kelser the all-time leading scorer for Michigan State? I think he was. I believe it's uh, Steve Smith or um, Sean Respert now. Uh, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, it was all. Maybe they should have a statue of him out there too, since he's he's always the one that's getting to come back. Right. I have, I have a book. <laughs> when I was twelve, uh, one of my sisters got me a Christmas present. It was his uh, a book he wrote, uh, Greg Kelser, and it's really interesting. It's it's really cool. Um, but yeah, Sasha, you kind of what's it about? Oh, it's just about him and his his journey at Michigan State, and um, you know what it was like being on that '79 team and playing with someone as famous as Magic Johnson. And people forget, you know, Kelser was the leading scorer in that national championship game against Larry Bird. Still the most watched. Yes, he was. Nice. Um, Wasn't that same year of the NBA finals on tape delay? I think so. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, Sasha, you alluded to it earlier. Um, The NBA is meeting and they have proposed about lowering the eligible draft age from 19 to 18, um, which could hypothetically, you know, do away with the one and done rule. Um, you know, it's, it's in the very early stages. I think at the earliest, we're looking at maybe the 2022 draft as the first time we could see 18 year olds go from, go right from high school to the NBA again. I mean, who would it be for that? I mean, look look what it spawned us. It's given us KG. It's given us Kobe Bryant. You know, I, I I think it's given us LeBron James. You know, I think it's a good thing. I think if if you're good enough to play in the pros, man, if you're good enough to play in the pros at a at a 17 year old, 18 year old level, let them. You know, what I'm saying not all of us are built with that kind of athleticism, and you know. And people, you got, you got these kids who, you know, are, are, are graduating from Stanford when they're 15 years old because their minds are so good. You know, he's got these Mensa kids who are geniuses. You know what I'm saying? Not all of us are geniuses. Not all of us have the brains like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not all of us are built like that. Let them go on. It's the same thing. Let them go on and do their thing. Why are you holding them back? Because they're, they're physically gifted. If you know, you're, we're not holding back these mentally gifted kids. You know what I'm saying? We're not holding them back. Right. These physically uh, gifted kids, let them go do their thing, man. Because you know what? It, 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 it's it's like I said, it's gave us Garnett. It's gave us Kobe Bryant. If it's given us uh, uh, LeBron James, man, and like imagine, imagine if they were restricted and had to go to college. You know. All, all the awesome moments in NBA history that we've missed, you know, it's just, I, I, I think it's, it's been a long time coming. And I think it needs to go back to 18. Just if how old are you are, let them play. They do soccer around the world, do the same thing here. I think it did benefit some players like Kevin Durant really comes to mind. I think he benefited uh, from playing a year at Texas before going to the NBA, but you know, on the other end, the same, the same exact draft, the player that went before him, Greg Oden, if Greg Oden is in the NBA a year earlier, you know, maybe he doesn't get injured as soon and he's got at least another year of money uh, before, before all that comes down, you know? Yeah. Right. I think it'll make the college game better. Um, you know, these, I think so too. yeah, these guys who, if they don't really want to be there and if they're not really taking school seriously and they don't really need it. And I feel like the guys, that aren't ready to go to NBA with the G league. So established now they're not taking up a roster spot. They'll just, you know, send them down 
Right. Whereas before it kind of stunk like Jermaine O'Neal is a guy who comes to mind who ended up being a good player, but he struggled his first few years with the Blazers and he was taking up a roster spot and, you know, the Blazers were good at the time and they could have had a veteran there. Well, now with the way the G League is going, I feel like the NBA is more equipped to have guys who come from high school and don't necessarily light it on fire um, because they have a developmental league, like a minor league in baseball or hockey that they can send guys down to. You know what I think it would cut down on? I think it would cut down on the amount of NCAA scandals we see going on. Obviously, like, look at Brian Bowen in Louisville. When it came out that he was getting, uh, or at least someone in his family was getting money to go to Louisville, like, the shit came down on Patino. The shit came out on Bowen. Bowen has never played college basketball since. I believe he's playing in Australia now. And he was, like, he wasn't even a top 20 player. I think it was, like, 22 or 23 ranked overall. So how many, how many you know, top 20 players do you think are just flying under the radar getting that money, like you kind of mentioned earlier? So I think by those players – bypassing the one required year of college that they don't really need, maybe don't want, you know, I think it will cut down on the amount of, you know, illegal money that's coming into college athletics, at least for basketball. Yeah. And Louisville, they took things too far. Instead of, you know, just having like groupies, Rick Pitino, who's a perverted sex vampire, by the way, (laughs) <laughs> was paying girls do you know <laughs> well you know I, I'm sure you want to keep this PG but you know right. <laughs> and, and speaking of the Patinos I can't stand this son I was watching that game uh, 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 yesterday and I was just yesterday. like I just can't stand his face he's <laughs> one of those punchable faces you know what I'm saying I don't like don't really have to get violent but he, like Richard, right? Isn't this his name? Richard Pitino? Dick? Dick Pitino? <laughs> yeah. I would love to sock him right in the face. He just has one of those punchable faces. I don't know. I just, just bugged the crap out of me. Imagine, like watching... He has a <laughs> <laughs> Imagine watching a Purdue uh, uh, Minnesota game. Uh, what's Purdue's coach's name, Joe? I know you uh, don't like him. Matt Peter. You know I hate that guy. Yeah, they both have very punchable faces. Matt Painter looks like he frosted his tips in high school. <laughs> um, uh, Rich, Richard Patino looks like a young Tony Soprano when they did, like, the flashback scenes. He just looks like a punk kid, like, <laughs> like he whines all the time and talks about how his dad can beat up your dad. Right. You know what my dad is? You know what my dad is? <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I'm also worried that like maybe some players will think they're NBA ready. Like we see a lot of players come to college with the intention of being one and done, and then you know, they realize maybe they're not ready, and they end up taking the second year, sometimes the third year. Um, I'm worried that maybe some players will try to jump too soon because I think the amount of players that really can jump from high school to the NBA is a bit lesser than the players who maybe do need a year to develop and play, you know, some of the most competitive basketball known to mankind. And that's what March Madness is. It's so competitive, you know, just to get into March Madness. Um, But, yeah, I think players like Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, uh, Greg Oden, 
Like, yeah, they would have benefited. They probably could have gone right from high school. Oh, yeah. And, and, and NCAA wouldn't have skipped the beat, man, to be honest with you. And that's always going to be a risk you have to take. I remember when before they had the one and done, there would be players coming from high school that wouldn't even get drafted in the second round. You know, they would go undrafted. And, I mean, that's a risk they're willing to take. I'm sure they can find a job overseas, though, you know, playing basketball over there. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe they should be able to – something needs to happen. Like, someone needs to tell these kids that, no, you're not ready, like – like kind of like a like a Nick Ward, like someone came back and you got these NBA guys are telling them, listen, you got to work on this, this, and the third, you're not going to get drafted. You know, you got your other coaches telling you that. So maybe there there needs to be some kind of, you know, there uh, some kind of checks and balances in place. I don't know, but um, I, I think I think Adam Silver is the man to do it if they come up with something. I think he's been doing a, such a great job in the NBA right now that I, I think if they do come up with that, they're going to find some checks and balances so these kids that don't get drafted. Who are still better talent than some of these guys that are in the NCAA because those guys did it the right way? I think there needs to be some checks and balances, and I think they'll figure it out. From what I understand, they have a great system now, and uh, from what I understand, like uh, the scouts and the NBA will tell kids like where they'll probably get drafted, whether or not they should. They, you know, they don't just right. try to get them to come to the league. Right. Yeah, I remember when um. Izzo had two players who were thinking about going a couple years ago, and this was before uh, this was before you could put your name in and then, like, you know, go to the combine and get scouted and then take it out by certain deadlines. So, like, this was back in 2013 when both Adrian Payne and Gary Harris were thinking about going. You know, Izzo obviously wanted them back, but, you know, he's not the type of coach that will, like, you know, try to do everything to make sure the kid only plays for him and you know, screw him afterwards. Um, he he, he kind of – Scouts, you know, these scouts are telling them, like, you know, there's 50 first-round picks and 20 top-ten picks. That's just not how it is. Like, you know, there are 20 kids in the NCAA who are told that they're top-ten material, or, you know, there's 50 that are told they're first-round material. But, yeah, I really like what they have in place now where players can go up until, like, May, you know, the middle of May until they have to decide if they want to stay in the draft or if they want to go back to I think it benefited Nick Ward, benefited Charles Matthews a lot. And then um, Wagner, right. too. Like, Mo Wagner came out after the 2017 season, didn't he? And then came back, obviously, and declared again and stayed that time. Yep, and uh, from what I – it was said at the time that Wagner wasn't really seriously considering going. He mostly just wanted them to break down his game so he knew what he had to work on. Right. And that's um, that's what he could use that players four or five years ago could not use, you know? Yeah. You know, Silver's been a great commissioner, I think, for the NBA. I think so, too. Oh, yeah. For sure. I, th- I think that guy could probably take over Goodell's job and handle both leagues. Yeah. And plus, I don't want to punch him in the face like I did David Stern when he talks. <laughs> yeah, David Stern was just like... He he just looked like that guy that would order split pea soup everywhere he went. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was so condescending. He he seemed like the th- one of the things that like irked him the most was the way Allen Iverson dressed. <laughs> I love that picture of a little like, 
ridiculous, man. A little like twelve year old white kid at a Sixers game dressed exactly like Iverson with like fake tattoos and everything. Ash <laughs> 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 penciled on in on his face. Uh, yeah. yeah, Silver's great. He does kind of look like a penis with glasses, but he's a fantastic commissioner. I think it's funny that they kind of like come come to him and be like, "Hey, we hate Goodell. Would you would you want to like take over our league too?" <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing with Silver. When I first saw him, I kind of didn't like him just based on how he looked. I'm like, he looked like Moby, who was like left out in the sun too long, but he won me over. <laughs> you look like Moby out of, uh, and then they put him on a torture rack and like stretch him out a little bit. After <laughs> <laughs> Horrible, man. But yeah, I knew for sure. Yeah. Um, back to the rivalry talk. Um, this is a long storied rivalry. You know, I think it really started to pick up in 2012. I think it's great when two programs are amazing like they are right now they're both at the top of the big 10 they're both in the top 10 competing for ncaa tournament position um both competing for championships so yeah with that long story history i want to get into our favorite moments from rivalry games past between michigan and michigan state so uh how we can do this is like oh uh, we all say one and then you know like mike says one sasha says one i say one and then you like keep going that work works for me. We can go. We can go. Uh, yeah, we can go do that. Um, can I start out? Yeah. yeah. I think one of uh, my favorite moments was I think it was 2012 or 13 when um, Michigan and Michigan State. It was kind of like when like Beeline, is Michigan's team started like you know, being streaky and they started you know putting together good wins. You know, and they both I think they both met in Breslin. And they're both undefeated in the conference, and Michigan won by like five points, four or five points, something like that. And um, it, it what was that? Fourteen, I believe. They were both like, I think they were both undefeated, like five and zero oh in Big Ten play at the time. Right, and then Michigan ended up winning, and I think it kind of like broke, like it kind of broke like a losing streak in Breslin for uh for the Wolverines. So I thought I thought that was pretty cool because you know um. I think it started to solidify, you know, Beeline's role and and knowing that, you know, he's not bullshitting. This guy's, you know, for real. And, you know, trying to bring a Michigan's basketball program out of the doldrums. I think that's around that time, you know, a, a, a 2012, 11 up, kind of like seal the deal for him. But you guys go on. What do you guys think? I could uh, go next. Um, One, I uh... – put down was the 2011 uh, game, and I believe it was at Breslin, and it was the Zach Novak, Stu Douglas, uh, Tim Hardaway, and Darius Morris team, and um, that kind of saved Beeline's job because he had a good second year where they went to second round of the NCAAs. It looked like he was turning things around, and then the 2009 and the 2010 team just did not get along. And then they start out the 2010-11 season really bad. And I think uh, Michigan started one and six in a Big Ten play. And that win kind of propelled them. Um, And they end up having a really good record. They went to NCAAs, got the second round. 
And then you look at 2012, 13, 14, and kind of started that momentum towards a really good run for uh, John Beeline. That, I, I really think right. that Beeline, was, was that okay? Go my bitch. I'm sorry. I really think John Beeline is not uh, at Michigan anymore, if not for that game. Yeah, I, you, you're talking about the, the the Douglas shot at the end of the game, right? Yeah. The the Novak freak out and he threw a towel around yeah. his face. Yeah, I, I think I think that saved that saved Beeline's job, dude. I think that um that that Michigan is what it is today because Beeline got his butt saved that game. That was on my, my one of mine. So so and that was my next one. Not so. only that, um, you know, the students were kind of wearing it on their chest. It been almost 1,200 days since Michigan had beaten Michigan State in football or men's basketball at that point. So, and, you know, it was, it was really expected to go on longer because Michigan State, even though they were struggling at that point, you know, they were still, like, a, I believe a top 20 team at the time. Like, they were slumping. And I remember, like, this is 14-year-old me thinking, like, okay, well, we got Michigan. We're going to kick the shit out of them. And then we're going like, to find our mojo again. We're all going to be good, you know. And that was, that was not the case. Um, yeah, for me, one of my top favorite, I'm not going to go with a specific game, but it was like a, it was a moment in a specific game. Uh, Matt Costello, his senior year, they only played Michigan once. It was at, it was at, uh, Chrysler center in 2016. Like the game was kind of getting away from Michigan. It was like 15 or 16 point game. Costello stole a mid court pass, took it all the way and dunked it. And looks in the camera and does this little tongue wag. He's like, "Woo!" and it like sticks his tongue out. And I just lost it. I thought that was great. That's that's currently my laptop screensaver. Costello. <laughs> I'll find a clip um, and I'll post it on the uh, the Facebook page. You know, we we can all like find clips and post them on our Facebook page to to reference. But yeah, well, that's one of my favorite. Well, my other moment that was next up was the the Novak freak out Douglas shot to save Beeline. So we know about that. So you can skip back to me, Mike. Go on. All right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're gonna have some overlaps. Like even mine. Like some of my oh, for sure. just MSU wins. But yeah, go ahead, Mike. Uh, well, I mean, your Matt Costello one kind of reminds me of the Nick Stauskas uh, in 2014. Uh, the his zone was giving him shit all game and. Once it was sealed, you know, he blew them a kiss, uh, you know, because, you know, white players in the Big Ten that are good are always hated by the rival fan base. <laughs> also white, in case anyone didn't know. <laughs> uh, for me, like the moment the rivalry really became special, like it was it was more than the football rivalry to me was not a specific moment, but it was three seasons. It was 2012, 2013, and 2014. 2012, you know, Michigan wins at home by one. Michigan State wins at home uh, on Draymond's last time playing Michigan. They, they share the Big Ten title. 2013, again, you know, Michigan goes to the NCAA title game. But people forget they lost by 23 at the Breslin Center earlier that year. I mean, you know, Trey Burke had – uh, just an amazing game. Their second meeting. That's probably on your guys' list, so I won't spoil it. Um, you know, a one-point win at home for Michigan again. And then 2014, you know, you mentioned the Stauskas blowing kisses to the crowd game. And then they won again at home. And then they meet. And Michigan won the Big Ten Championship by, like, two or three games. Just outright. So, 
they they meet again in the 2014 Big Ten championship title game. Uh, first time they met in postseason play, and Michigan State won it. And then they both get to the Elite Eight. That was just a stretch of three years where Michigan and Michigan State were just both really at the top of their games. Like, Michigan State made the Sweet 16 every year. Uh, Michigan got to the championship game, got to the Elite Eight. Both came within, like, four or five points. I, I believe Michigan lost by, like, two that day to Kentucky, and MSU lost to UConn. And then, um, yeah. And those teams went on to meet in the championship, too, uh, UConn and Kentucky. Right. And a lot of a lot of players from those Michigan and Michigan State rosters are currently playing in the NBA. So that's not like a specific moment, but it's just a three-year stretch where I really thought the rivalry was at its full potential. I feel like we're about to be back at that again, where it's at its full potential. Even last year, Michigan State yeah, won the Big yeah. Ten title outright, and then Michigan wins the Big Ten tournament right. for the second year in a row and goes to the title game. And I honestly was a fan of that. Like, I wasn't upset by that. Yeah, Joe, I'm with you, man. That this 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 past like, you know, since you know 13 on, dude. This this rivalry has to me been more, way more compelling than the football rivalry. It really has been. You know, what I'm saying to be honest with you, I'm kind of over our blah, but you know, I digress. This rivalry is like we were saying it a few podcasts ago. I can't believe more people aren't on this rivalry like it. Like how awesome this rivalry been in the past the past few years, you know, um, Michigan's been swept by, uh, uh, state a few years. So last year was pretty nice, uh, to, you know, to go back to back on them. But other than that, man, like, like the few, these past few years has been freaking great. It's been solidified this rivalry. And, um, I think, I think Izzo said the best is like, do I respect them? Yeah, I respect them. Uh, <laughs> Do I like them? Hell no, I don't like them at all, and I don't think they like us, and that's how it needs to be. And um, I think that's th- that's the mentality both teams are ca- teams are carrying in this Sunday. Right. And I still have a few more moments left, Sasha. You got any more um, shining moments on your list? No, I think Mike's probably going to take the Trey Burke one, <laughs> so I'll, I'll let Mike ride with that one. Yeah, that that steal at the end of the second 2013 game. And I was actually going to mention that uh, Michigan was blown out in the first one, and it was kind of nice to get revenge. Um, that also was around the time I started talking sports more online, and uh, it was when I dealt with, you know, after that first game, certain oh, fans yeah. freaking out, you know. And uh, I and uh, I, I had to been, be- what's that? I might have been one of those fans that after the first no. game, no, no, no. I'm talking about Michigan fans. The ones, yeah, the ones that freak out after every loss. Yeah. And, like, it's like uh, good teams get blown out sometimes, too. And, obviously, you know, you felt kind of – I felt kind of vindicated when Michigan not only split that series, but, you know, went all the way to NCAAs. You know, teams lose. I've kind of realized that certain fans want to win every single game and aren't happy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know uh, Michigan fans, you know, like to say, you know, since 2011, Michigan's 9-7 and seven against State, which not only, you know, they have the two extra wins, but, I mean, that really speaks to how close it's been. You know, that's right. still 9-7. and seven. If you go back to 2010, it's probably 9-9, nine and nine, and that's a 10-season – that's a 10 season, you know, <clears throat> uh, thing you're looking at and how even it's been. And, 
you know, I, I always look back at the 2015 and 16 years and like how much better Michigan would have been if Karis LeVert would have just been healthy looking at him in the NBA now. You, you guys may not know about me. I'm actually a ghost. Um, I died when Trey Burke stole the ball from Keith Appling. Uh, <laughs> like, that game was so back and forth. It was intense. Like, that's really one of the most underrated Michigan State teams in maybe ever. Like, nobody talks about that Michigan State team because, you know, they got to the Sweet 16, but Michigan went to the championship game. So they kind of overlooked. But that was a very good 2013 Michigan State team. Gary Harris's freshman year, uh, you know, um, they really didn't lose any games they were not supposed to lose, which is extremely rare in college basketball. And I felt like if they beat Michigan that day, they would have won the Big Ten title over Indiana. And, you know, it was tied. And, you know, Keith Appling had so many clutch finishes that year that I felt so confident. And then he just I died. I died right there. <laughs> what, whatever happened to Keith, AK Appling? Is he still shooting up strip clubs with AK 47s? I believe he's in prison now. <laughs> Is he really in prison? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he, I think he died. <laughs> yeah, last year, last year when they played in Detroit, Izzo went and visited him a little bit. I, I, I vaguely remember him getting caught with a gun. Did he shoot it off or? No, he got caught in like Ohio with the AK at a strip. Oh, AK. See, I just thought it was like an unregistered handgun. Uh, wow. Wow. Little player though. Yeah, Izzo came in there. Izzo came in there like an Italian mob boss. I'm gonna drop some money in your comments. Moment for me was uh, that 2014 Big Ten tournament title game we mentioned because. Um, Michigan State came in with a lot of expectations that year and really wasn't meeting them. And then, like, to get that revenge over Michigan in convincing fashion, it was the last time Gary Harris played Michigan, last time Adrian Payne played them. And, you know, it was, like I said, the first time they met in a non-regular season game, and it was it was amazing. Uh, I believe Tom Izzo said it was like Christmas and Fourth of July rolled into one. And it, was, it really lived up to the hype for me, and it was just – Great vindication. I really felt like the teams were going to meet in the final four that year. I really felt that. I actually, yeah. Would they have met in the final four? Would it have been the championship game? It would have been the championship game. Yeah. And uh, I remember, you know, my dad's a little bit more casual fan than me. He was like, I'm hearing people say, like, they could meet in the championship game. He's like, is that just, you know, false hope or is it possible? And I was like, honestly, I think it could happen. You know, I wouldn't bet on it, but. I actually I mean, thought they were two of the top five teams. So, Look at the teams they lost to in the Elite Eight. Michigan State lost by five um, on some bullshit calls to UConn. Um, but that's a different story. U of M, you know, lost by, what was it, two when uh, Andrew Harrison hit a buzzer beater or like a really late deep shot. Yeah, like, Michigan had the lead late in that game. Right, and those two teams played in the national championship game. UConn beat Kentucky. So – those two teams, really, it's not its not beyond a reasonable doubt that they were that close. You know, they were seven points away from maybe meeting in the title game. Huh. That would have been nuts. The state would have gone crazy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, do you think if um, Michigan hadn't lost to Penn State and um, 
uh, state, you know, didn't lose recently. Um, and these two teams were maybe like top five. If there maybe would have been even more hype this week. Right. Like MSU had two bad losses to, at home to Indiana. Like, you know my thoughts. You cannot lose at home when you're really chasing a Big Ten title. And Purdue hasn't lost at home, and Michigan hasn't lost at home. And those are the two teams tied with Michigan State for first place. So that really hurts me. Yeah, if Michigan State didn't lose to Indiana, they'd probably be, you know, a top top eight or seven or eight. Michigan didn't lose to Penn State. Uh, I see no reason why they wouldn't be at least number five. Yeah, I feel like there's hype going into this game. Like, Chrysler sold out. You know, there's – the ticket prices are ridiculous, but I still – I don't know. It doesn't seem as big as football as when one of the teams is down, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I've, I've been to both games. Like, you know, I've been to a Michigan-Michigan State football game, a Michigan-Michigan State basketball game. And, I mean, both my tickets were, like, way up in the nosebleeds, you know. I was just happy to be there. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, I think, harder to get into a football game usually than basketball. And I think one of the reasons the basketball rivalry seems better lately is because other than 2015 and 2011, I feel like one of the teams is always down in football while the other one's, like, doing really well. It's never, like, both the teams are doing really well. That's the thing for Michigan and Michigan State. Like, aside from 2011, like, the same year, and then, like, 2015 and 16, you look at every year, and you can make an argument – for Michigan being better than Michigan State or Michigan State being better than Michigan. You know, you really could make the argument in every year since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who do you think's gonna who do you guys think is gonna win the Big Ten title, the regular season title? I think it's gonna be Purdue because um, you know, Michigan and Michigan State play each other twice. Um, Michigan State playing at home on senior day I, against Michigan. I I'm hoping this doesn't come back to bite me, but I really don't think they would lose that game. You know, so I think I think they'll lose on Sunday, and then Michigan will lose the last day of the season. And Purdue, they just don't really play anybody that tough. So I, I feel like Purdue's going to win it, at least a share. If I had to bet on one team winning at least a share, it'd be Purdue, unfortunately. Honestly, I would, you, rather, I would rather see Michigan win than Purdue. I, <laughs> I am I – am, I'm sticking strong to my convictions. I'm going to be a homer. Hey, homer. I'm going with Michigan. I think Michigan's going to win it. I was actually a little surprised when I looked it up, but Ken Palm has all three teams going 15 and 5. So I looked at Purdue's schedule because, you know, everyone says they have the easiest. But I think playing away at Minnesota and Nebraska, I have this funny feeling that they will drop one of those. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I think Michigan, you know, I see them splitting with State, and I think they'll beat Maryland at Maryland, but that's going to be a hard game too. That is a difficult game. I'm glad – well, I'm not glad I wish State would have played Maryland, but, you know, at Maryland. Like, they played Maryland in East Lansing and kind of handled them easily, and I really would have liked to see them play in College Park. I got, I got I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I got one more moment left on my, like, favorite uh, moments in the rivalry games. You guys have any left? 
No. Nope. I mean, I do, I I don't. I, I like the I I like the tournament uh, win against State last year. Just probably the same reason you uh, liked it. It just felt like a bigger stage. And you know, True. the the last three games, you know, overall has been nice because uh, before that, Michigan had lost five in a row. You know, against State, so it's and nice that you know. It's so streaky. Like since Beeline won that first game against Izzo, you know, for the first time, you know, Michigan won three straight. Then Michigan State won two straight. Then Michigan won three straight again. Then five straight for State, and now it's three straight for Michigan currently. So yeah, it's been crazy streaky. What was your moment, Joe? Um, 2010 at Chrysler. Uh, you know, Michigan State was down. Six to fifty-five. Kalen Lucas, the reigning Big Ten Player of the Year, uh, steps. You remember the one-three-one zone when that was like Beeline's calling card on defense? You remember? Yeah. <laughs> like that stifled so many good offenses back in the day. I remember them beating UCLA and Duke in the two thousand eight, two thousand nine season, really based on that one-three-one zone. Um, like he got the ball on the wing, stepped into the zone, like in the corner, like found the opening and hit a. Just hit a, a like a fifteen foot two pointer with like three seconds left and won the game. He's one of my favorite players ever. I have a jersey shirt of his from back in the day. It's one of my favorites. Like that moment was great because Michigan State went on to win a share of the title. So if if Lucas doesn't hit that shot, they don't win the share of the title. Uh, and, you know they went on to the Final Four later that year. Maybe if they don't share the title, maybe if they don't get that last second win, you know. Maybe they don't go to the Final Four that year. So that's one of my favorite moments. Probably my favorite moment ever. Cool. Yeah. Anything else we want to add to uh, <laughs> Michigan State rivalry talk? No. no. Just that um, I'm excited for Sunday, man. I'll be, I'll, I'll be hitting you guys up on Messenger. Joe, probably talking shit to Joe. <laughs> You know, kind of, but maybe, 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 hopefully, me and Mike talk shit to Joe. You know, I don't know. <laughs> hopefully, that's how it turns out on our end. You could make quite a bit of money if you sold your tickets to the game. I know you don't want to do that, but, you know. I was actually going to bring that up. I'm like, you know, I am psyched because I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. I could get way more than I paid for these tickets if I wanted to sell them right now. But I would hate myself, especially if Michigan won. It's going to be so worth it. Um, you know, Chrysler sold out almost every game this year, even against, you know, the community Lower. college they played in November. Hey, man, if Sabrina comes down with an illness, like, you know where to find me, man. <laughs> Are you kidding? I think she might be the only person in Ann Arbor that likes Michigan basketball more than me. <laughs> If you come down with an illness, tell Sabrina to call me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Uh, I remember when we both uh, shared a laptop back in our poorer days, and uh, I get on the laptop, and I'm like, "Hmm, I wonder what Sabrina was looking at." And this is in like October, and she has Michigan's basketball schedule pulled up, and right then, that's when I knew she was the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, will you marry me? Right then? <laughs> They got out of me. <laughs> That's funny. What a story, Mike. <laughs> I should have told that at my wedding. 
Right. <laughs> I know you were at my wedding, Joe. What was a uh, Theron story like? Uh, uh, Sabrina told a joke under her breath, and then I, uh, you know, I said it louder to the rest of the table, and she called me out on stealing her joke. And Theron was like, "That's when I knew I liked Sabrina." <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh... And he said you guys needed to go upstairs and put your parts together. <laughs> what did he... <laughs> he, said, he said, like, I'm going to cut my speech short because I know Mike and Sabrina just want to get upstairs and put, put something <laughs> together. <laughs> Heard of Christmas in July. Uh, we were looking for a non-sports topic this year, or this episode. And, um, we stopped, Halloween in February. <laughs> we discussing the latest Halloween movies, so it's it's Halloween in February, man. Awesome. Did you um, want to lead things off, Joe? Yeah, you guys remember back in October we had Mike on for the first time, and we discussed. Uh, it was also rivalry week in football. We discussed uh, Michael Myers and all the different types of uh, horror genre movies to get in the mood for October thirty first, also Halloween. Um, well, you know, we all saw the movie and we are finally getting around to discussing it. So, yeah, <laughs> to take the lead. Go ahead, man. Well, Joe, I, I think it's interesting because you had never seen any of them until October, right? That is correct. What did you think? Because I wish I could go back in time and experience like all the movies kind of back to back within a few weeks. What was the journey like for you? Not only seeing the new movie, but kind of like seeing all. Seeing all yeah. I think I watched them all in like a 10 day span. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll go back in time. I was a different person back then. I still had all of my original parts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all the Halloween movies, you know, I kind of picked up a theme on a lot of the sequels. Like, they kind of re- repeated some of the, um, the Myers-isms, if you will. And, you know, they didn't get, re- they kind of almost got repetitive to me, but they were, like, jumpy enough to keep me interested. And I didn't know until we were at the theater, Mike, that the, uh, the movie coming out, that came out last fall, was a direct sequel to the original, meaning... It just disregarded, uh, you know, the other 29 sequels or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It was just focusing on the very first one, which was interesting. Like, I I don't think I knew of a series that really just kind of disregarded everything else. Like, you know, it'd be great if the next Star Wars movie that came out could just ignore The Last Jedi and Attack of the Clones, right? (laughs) Preach. No, as bad as they were, they're still needed, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it, it was a weird experience, like seeing all the old movies for the first time and then seeing the new movie. So I, it's like I was viewing it through a different lens, right? Because you had seen all the movies multiple times. Like you kind of grew up with the movies, obviously not the originals because those are from the 70s. Well, <laughs> well actually i only remember like well i guess i was, I was gonna say joe i'm not that old like most of them were made before i started watching them <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i thought it was 
uh, a fun movie. Obviously, it, it kind of poked fun at the other sequels, like uh, Laurie's granddaughter talking with her friends, and they're like, oh, isn't isn't he, uh, you know, Laurie Strode's sis- brother? And they're like, no, that's just something that the town folks came up with, you know, as an old wives' tale, which I think is better. You know, it's kind of scarier if he just picked this this girl at random and decided to, you know, torture her life because she got away from him at this one point. I agree. Yeah, there was just enough shock, you know, like just enough horror, like, you know, Michael sneaking up on the lady in the in the stall and kind of dropping all of the guy's teeth on the floor at her and like sparing nobody. Like he even killed that kid who was at the, the site of the bus crash. So it was it was amazing and it left a lot of stuff open ended at the end. Uh we'll get to that. I'll let you guys talk about it more too. Yeah, I think I think what really kind of messed me up was when he killed the kid. Like it showed him kill the kid. You know, I know like you know, we see uh Rick Grimes shoot the little zombie girl in like the first few episodes of The Walking Dead season one. But they don't actually like show him hold the gun to her head and like blow her head off. It's like, you know, they edit it back and forth. This one he's like he chokes the kid out, you know? This is like, whoa, this is like this is like Really, I look at my wife. I'm like, I can't believe they just showed them killing like a, a little preteen, you know. So, and then, and like you said, it goes on from there. The the the, the stall scene, and then like the way he just beats the dude who comes in afterwards is just like very, very, very violent. I just like like you said, it was a direct sequel. Forty years later, like this whole time for forty years, this, this woman is just setting everything up for Michael's like one day arrival can you imagine that you know what i'm saying like we make fun of doomsday preppers <laughs> for you know wanting to prep for the end of the world this lady's prepping for michael myers return for 40 years 40 flipping years you know she's like just shut herself off to the outside and just waited for this one man i think that was kind of uh like whoa but then again, was she right at the end of it? It's like, yeah, all these crazy people at the very end, but when, you know, the rockets come down, we're, we're trying to get in the bunkers, you know? So, <laughs> so, so that's what happened, you know? Michael Myers comes back into town, you know, you're, you know, she's all, oh, mommy, mommy, yeah, yeah, now mommy, mommy, you know, you want to be a fucking color crazy ass here and there, you stop crying, you know, fucking leave the restaurant, you know, Michael Myers comes back, your ass is fucking right, go right back to mommy. So I, I think that was kind of cool that she prepped for him, but yeah, like I'll, I'll, I'll reserve my my thoughts on the ending when uh, it comes back around to you, Joe, and you come bring that up. Lori kind of took on the role of Doctor Loomis, like going around warning the people about Michael Myers, and everyone's like, eh, "Shut up, old man," or something like that, you know. And you know, no one really believes right. Lori, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I, I liked <clears throat> what they did with her. In this movie versus like Halloween H two O, the movies always remind me of each other because it was like, oh, that one was after twenty years, and they disregard right. all the sequels except for one and two, and then of course, you know, this one disregards all of them, including that one, including two. I liked her as a survivalist much more than I liked her as like a teacher now with like her own teenagers, and you know. Right. They kind of had her as like a suburban mom in that one. I don't know. Like, I, like you made a great point. Like, for being the new Loomis and being the survivalist and like being a nut a little bit, but you know, 
being a nut with a plan. Right. If some guy in a mask, you know, was haunting me one night and killed like what three or four of my friends on one day. Yeah, like I can't say I recover from that even after forty years. And you're right. In H two O, it was kind of like she moved on. Like you know, her problems were her teenage son wanting to go on a trip and stuff like that. They kind of like modernized her. Whereas in this one, you know, it really it brutally dealt with the PTSD that she suffered. Yeah, and, and I like that they made like a good origin, a good film that like had its own personality versus the other movies in the series whereas like i remember at the time it felt like h2o was just trying to like piggyback on the scream i know what you did last summer like popularity like oh slashers are cool again so halloween's cool again and (laughs) so we're back yeah right um, what stood out to me the most about the movie probably is um it's open-ended. We don't see Michael Myers die. We see him in the basement. The basement sets on fire. We see another shot from the basement, and he's not there in any form. So he could still be out there. And we see uh, Allison, Laurie Strode's granddaughter, holding the knife at the end, which I thought was kind of an homage, a connection to her. We see Jamie uh, after making contact with Michael Myers, and we think you know they've defeated him. She grabs a knife, she's in the clown outfit, kind of like the first one, um, and she stabs her stepmother, and it kind of ends on that note, you know? So yeah. I thought it was, like, it was like an homage and a connection to Halloween 4 that, you know, another young girl, well, not as young, but young, um, was holding the knife that she used to stab Michael Myers um, to get his hands off of her mother, you know? Yeah, I agree. And there was a lot of those type of things uh, in the film that kind of paid homage to like other things that happen in the series. Like there's a kill that's like straight out of Halloween 2 where he sneaks into the house, grabs the kitchen knife. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I think both women the are like little... the lady at the blind. Yeah. Um, there's like addresses they say that are like straight out of the first or the second or the fourth film, you know, I, I liked all those things. Yeah. Like at the very end too, I like how her daughter was kind of playing coy, like, mom, I can't do this without you. And then like, he pops his head out and she's like, got you. Yes. And she shoots him. And then, and then my favorite part is, and then Lori Strode comes you see her in the back room and you just see her face. Just like when she came at, at Michael, when she found all her friends dead in the closets and Michael came from behind her yes. and pushed her over to banister. That part, I was like, awesome. Awesome, dude. It's just like, I got you. Just how you, you get me, motherfucker. And then she knocked him in that basement and set it on fire. And then, right, you don't see Michael after that. So it's <laughs> like, what happened? Are we going to have a, you know, are we going to have a Halloween like when I'm like 73? I hope so. Like, what is this? I hope so. <laughs> I'll go see it. Right. <laughs> All right. It's been eighty years since the first attack on. Um... Oh, what's the what's the name of the town? Haddonfield. 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 Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny. I remember uh, in Halloween H two O when the cop 
is like uh, talking about Michael Myers being back, the detective or whatever. And one of the officers is like, what is he like in diapers now? You know, making fun of how old Michael Myers would be because it's been 20 years. And the detective is like, well, he, he'd be younger than me. Um, I don't know how much longer we can like kind of go with that logic. Like, cause what, how old was he supposed to be in this movie? 60. Right. 50? If he was, if he was 20 in the first one, uh, then yeah. He'd be 60. It'll start yeah, to be the thing you know, like Schwarzenegger or, or, uh, or, uh, Stallone, you know, they make fun of them for still playing like Rocky or action heroes or, Hulk Hogan still wrestling like that'll be the other thing like Michael Myers is now 70 and he's still out killing teenagers right right and still walking and still still out walking sprinting teenagers <laughs> you know and and I remember when we when we first talked about you know this last October I was actually in California and I was before we did the podcast I was getting ready to go to Universal uh uh I think it was Halloween Horror Nights, and we and uh, we actually did walk through the. I think it was it was based off Halloween Four was the walkthrough, and literally we walked through this haunted house, and there was probably I'm not joking with you, forty five Michael Myerses. <laughs> like you walk into one room, there's like Michael Myers hops out of here. You walk through another thing, Michael Myers hops out of here. And so I'm like, dude, this guy's too fast. I'm like, Mike, you're too fast, bro. You know, like me, I'm not scared of stuff like that. You know, like like I don't get scared of like. Cause I know the guys in masks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I know this, right? But it was just so funny to me that we walked through this little small like space, probably like the size of like uh, my the house I grew up in, a three bedroom ranch, and there was literally like 30, 40 Michael Myers. It's like, okay, I, I got it. Michael Myers is gonna hop out of here. Michael Myers is gonna hop out of there. But all 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 was kind of funny. <laughs> Michael Myers, they weren't like they weren't like model, you know, like here's the suit he wore in Halloween three or whatever. Or not Halloween three. No, no, because because you're, 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 you're walking through, like, they call it a maze, but it's like, it's like a haunted house. You're just walking through a haunted house, and the haunted house, the theme of the haunted house was, that one was Halloween 4, and, like, every corridor you went through, there was Michael Myers, so at the point, it's like, I'm oversaturated with Michael Myers, you know, they should have, like, somehow built it up, but they literally had, like, 30 guys dressed as Michael Myers, and they would hop out of different <laughs> corners as you would get to different rooms, it was just, like, overwhelmingly, like, Michael Myers, one Michael, make it scary, you know what I'm saying, like, draw me into the very end, and then come at me with Michael Myers, but I guess they had to get their Michael Myers fear into everybody, so 30 Michael Myers it was. <laughs> I like that it's uh, Halloween 4, because that sequel, like, almost has, like, a cult following, like, out of all the movies, you know, of course, number one's the classic, but, but it seems like Halloween 4 is, like, the next most popular one, and it's my, like, favorite after probably the new one in the original, uh, but it just seems like it has like a small, it has a following of like people who are hardcore fans of it. And it's a good one. Yeah. But, but all in all, I honestly do think that Rob Zombie's Michael Myers mask, the mask they use is probably one of the creepiest ones. I, uh, I, I like those movies a lot. Uh, they, they kind of have their own vibe. Yeah. They were different, but same. Um, I didn't like seeing Michael Myers with the long hair. Like that was kind of weird to me. Even when he was a kid, I was like, "Has to go through like the Rob <laughs> Zombie filter," you know. 
Yeah. True. I, I I even like the second one. I think it's like I don't know. I like that it's so different. The second Rob Zombie one. Like with his mom and like the horse. I don't know why. It's trippy. It's definitely different. I can see why people don't like it, but I still liked it. I don't think I saw that one. You should watch it. I'll make a note of it when uh when next October rolls around. I'd rather watch that than like Halloween six or whatever again. <laughs> The one with Paul Rudd, I really didn't like. Like that one seems kind of all over the place, not really organized. You told, you told me a lot of stuff about behind the scenes stuff. Was a total mess. Yeah, they kept changing the production budget and blah blah blah. They like documented on like the IMDb uh, uh, like trivia section if you go there and. Apparently, like, the director and producer's commentary, they go through it. I think, like, the company that was making it, like, went uh, bankrupt during the production. Damn. <laughs> That's nice. And the one with Busta Rhymes, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of. I kind of like to watch it and, like, laugh at it. Like, it's kind of almost like mystery science theater style, but it's really not a good movie. <laughs> Oh, man. Busta. <laughs> the Busta Bust. Trick or treat. And then he, like, the does a kung fu kick on him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. This is too funny, <laughs> Like, I would not be kung- I would not be kung fuing Michael Myers. I'd be kung fuing the freaking window to be getting away from Michael Myers, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh, Hoping you don't bust a shoe like Zion Williamson. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then I'll be done for her. Speaking of which, screaming Nike, damn you, as I'm getting stabbed by Michael Myers. <laughs> if they were going to have them do uh, like Kung Fu, they should have just got one of the Wu-Tang rappers to do it. <laughs> right. Like, like I, know, I, know, I know Rizzo's made that one movie, uh, Man with the Iron Fist. Could have came out of nowhere and Iron Fisted uh, Mike, dude, knocked him out. I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. It'd probably better than Busta Rhymes doing Kung Fu kicks, right? I don't know. <laughs> Tyra Banks attempting the act. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, in that movie, right. uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, doesn't she get, like, beheaded? Like, trying to follow the continuity of this series has... <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 tough, dude. It's like honestly, it really is tough, man. Like even compared to like the Nightmare on Elm Streets or Friday the Thirteenth, who you know sometimes would what is it called like reconning when you like redo like the story? Like they've done it a little bit, but like Halloween's like really stop and start and yeah, yeah, ret- retconning. Is that what yeah, called? retconning. Retconning. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of that, you know, like, I, I get it, I get it, sometimes you gotta change up the mythos here and there, but at, at, at times where you change it up so dr- dramatically and drastically, you got Busta Rhymes fucking drop kicking him like, he's, <laughs> you know, some WWE wrestler, it's like, no, dude, it's, just, it's not gonna work, but, hey, you know, they probably got their money for it, so... I I understand, like, when you can't get, like, the star to come back, like, in the 80s, you know, after Jamie Lee Curtis did Trading Spaces, I'm sure she didn't want to keep doing Halloween movies. Like, that makes sense. But when you just do it for the sake of doing it, it gets annoying. Yeah. You know, we, yeah, we most definitely. On our, on our last episode with a lot of actors leaving The Walking Dead because it feels like 
they don't want to be typecast as you know Rick or Maggie or you know Michonne. Like, yeah, that's probably. I think it was probably easier to get um, Jamie Lee Curtis back for the 2018 film because she had a full established career and she has the activity commercials. She's got everything, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> probably easier to come back and do another Michael Myers Halloween movie now than, you know, when she was still, you know, she still had other stuff. Yeah, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, she's too busy. <laughs> what were you going to say, Sasha? Too busy doing blockbusters like, she is, she's too busy doing blockbusters like True Lies with Arnold. So to go back and do something with about Michael Myers, like, really? Okay, calm down. Yeah, yeah. She's like, when she's doing movies with Arnold, you know, it's like, uh, I don't have time for Halloween. When her best option is doing, like, Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3, she's like, okay, I'll take the Halloween money now. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but, oh, well. Whatever works for him, I guess. But I'm glad she came back. That's all I got. Me too. And I give her props because she's come back a few times. It's not like, you know, in 1998, when she came back the first time, she was, she could have done something else. But, you know. Who knows? We might not have seen them. For sure. Like, like, like another Activia commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Are there really that many women that have trouble pooping? I'm just talking shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, we got, I think we got to everything we wanted to talk to. Um, Rivalry talk. Talked about the being done with the one and done. And yeah, lots of Halloween talk. Lots of Halloween talk. Lots of Lactivia talk. Or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> Lactivia. Love it. It's even better, bro. Lactivia. <laughs> is there is there anything else you guys want to hit on? Nah. Not really. I think we should get together again after after this game, talk about what we've seen. Maybe um, hopefully we can all catch glass next time. Uh, review glass a little bit because I'm really excited to see that too. Same. Yeah, I rewatched Unbreakable recently to like get in the mood for it. Plan on seeing Split again before, but you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us again, Mike. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, we'll have you on more frequently because every time it seems to seems to be a ball. Yeah, yeah, it, it actually does, bro. So um, make a staple out of it. Yep. But yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for guys. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Sasha, and I'm Mike. And this was Beer Radio. This episode of the Beards for Radio podcast is brought to you by Farbar Fashion, Clothing, and Design. 100% original. Visit far-ebar.com to add the next great addition to your wardrobe.